This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime, which you can find every Wednesday at relicradio.com. If you'd like to help support this and all of the Relic Radio shows, visit donate.relicradio.com. You make this all possible thanks to those who have helped out and have brought you today's show. We're going to start off with yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and hear the Blue Madonna Matter, his story from February 22nd, 1959. After that, it's the man from Homicide and the Steve Morton case. That episode aired August 27th, 1951. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. George Reed here, Johnny. Well, George, I'm really glad to talk to you. Oh? Why do you say it that way? Because every insurance case I handle for that company of yours pays me a nice fat fee. And right now I can use a little extra cash. Well, now, Johnny... So tell me all, what's Floyd's of England upset about this time? Well, I'm not sure. Uh-oh, here we go again. But, Johnny, I just received a transatlantic telephone call from Paris, France, from a man who wanted to contact you but didn't know where to call you. And he identified himself only as Le Chagris. Ah, uh, Le Chagris. It's French, Johnny. No. And I believe it means the gray cat. Yeah. And George, the name fits him. You know him, then? His real name is Dumarsac. He probably knows more about the dark alleys and back streets of Paris. Oh? Yeah, and about the people. In other words, the underworld. What did he call about? He mentioned the Blue Madonna. The what? It's a painting, Johnny. A small oil painting by a modern artist named Vincent Bardot. It's owned by Mr. Kingsley Holland down in Philadelphia. Yeah? It hangs in the Gavin Galleries, and we've insured it for $12,000. Well, what did he have to say about it? Only that you're to call him. His number there in Paris is uh, Orleans 57722. Uh-huh. That he has some very interesting information for you about that painting. Oh, sure. That he'll be glad to give me for a price. Exactly. I can't for the life of me figure what his interest is in it. If there were anything amiss, I'm sure the gallery would have called me. George, if you knew that character as well as I do, you'd okay my expense account without even looking at it and be willing to pay me that big fee I was talking about. What do you mean? Want to make a bet? What kind of a bet? I'll give you odds of ten to one that whatever's hanging in that gallery down there in Philadelphia is not the Blue Madonna. What? Now, look, Johnny, good heavens. George, I'll be talking to you. Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Floyd's of England, North American office, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Blue Madonna matter. Expense account item one, $12 even for a phone call to my underworld contact in Paris, France. A man by the name of Dumarsac, who calls himself the Grey Cat. Oh, oui, Monsieur Dollar. This is your old, your very dear friend, Le Chagris. Very dear friend, huh? Now listen, you telephone George Reed that you have some real hot information about a painting his company insured. Ah, oh, oui, Le Madonna Bleu. What did you call the Blue Madonna? Okay. How much you want this time? Oh, Monsieur... 
You touch me to the quick. While one might think that I slave and suffer and risk my life on your behalf only for money. How much, Demarsak? See, uh, $1,000. A thousand? Look, if your info's worth anything, I'll send you a check for 50 bucks. 50 bucks? No. Uh, 900? Okay, I'll make it 75. What, monsieur? Same 50? How about an even 100? 500. Two. Four? Three, that's final. Oh, please. 200? Okay, 200. Oui. Eh? No. It's all settled. 200 bucks. Now, what about the Blue Madonna? Aha, uh-huh, yes. It is now here in Paris. Yeah, where? In the shop of Monsieur Dubesson on the Rue du Pas de Lemoule. Dubesson? Huh. You sure it isn't just a copy that he'll try to foist it off on some wealthy sucker? <laughs> Dubesson is a crook. An evil crook. But he's an honest one. Oh, sure. Yes, and he knows the works of art. Also, he's very clever. To get his price, he will wait until the real Madonna is discovered missing. If it really is, that's what I'll check on now. And then you will you will send me the five hundred dollar, my very dear friend. Two hundred, remember? Ah, we we I cheated myself. But Monsieur, yeah. Uh, suppose I could find out who smuggled the painting into him. Eh? Fine. That would be uh, worth a lot to you, no? Say a thousand. We'll see. I'll be talking to you. Item 2, 420. I phoned to my old pal, Foster Harmon, down in Sarasota, Florida. Told him I'd pay his fare if he grabbed the first plane out and meet me in Philadelphia at the Bellevue Stratford Hotel. I knew that if anybody could identify the genuine painting, he could. Item 3, 940 for my own transportation to the city of brotherly love. Item 4, 950 cocktails and dinner for the two of us there at the Bellevue. Yes, the Blue Madonna is one of Vincent Bardot's best-known works. I don't think there's another living artist who could so effectively use various shades of just one color. But uh, what about it, Johnny? Well, first thing in the morning, I want you to come along with me and take a look at it. It's in the Gavin Galleries, isn't it, up on Walnut Street? Yeah, at least it's supposed to be. Supposed? Now, all I want you to do is take a good look at it, then reserve any comments until after we get out of the place. That's all. Well, but Johnny, Meantime, I... I want to check with the owner of that painting. The telephone directory gave me Kingsley Holland's address. Item 4, 620 for a cab to a small apartment house out in West Philadelphia. Holland turned out to be... Well, I'd say he was about 30, short, lean, and nervous. With the surly expression of a man who feels the world hasn't done right by him. Yeah? You mean you're interested in buying the blue banana? Well, it uh, it all depends, Mr. Holland. Uh-huh. Uh, look, Dollar, uh, that's what you said your name is? Yes, that's right, Johnny Dollar. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Uh, well, anyway, listen. Yeah? That gallery's got a price of fifteen or oh, eighteen thousand on it. But if you want to buy it direct from me, and right now, I'll give it to you for twelve. Save yourself a few thousand bucks, and it'll save me having to pay them there twenty percent. But if you've already commissioned the gallery to sell it for you... So, I'll tell them I changed my mind. That I want to keep it. Then when they find out that I've sold it, well, let them try and catch up with me and collect. Because me, I'll be right back in little old gay Paris. Back in Paris? Sure, I'd be there still, only I ran out of money. Twelve thousand, huh? That's exactly what it's insured for. And that's what they appraised it for when I got it from my uncle's estate. <laughs> with all his money, what does he die and leave me with but a lousy painting? Well, do you want it? Uh, let me think about it. I'm uh, staying at the Bellevue Stratford. Sure, sure. Just don't tell them at the Gavin Gallery about our little deal. Huh? But those crooks don't know won't hurt it. Crooks? You think for a minute all that stuff they've got laying around the place is genuine? But the Blue Madonna is. 
You're sure? Huh? What do you mean by that? Just to stick around, Mr. Holland. Any reason why I shouldn't? I don't know. Is there? Now, wait a minute, Dollar. I'll be in touch with you. Act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. Now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Blue Madonna matter. At Kingsley Holland, the owner of the painting recognized my name. I thought so. And if a switch in that painting had been made and he knew about it, well, I'd do well to look out for him. Yeah, the more I thought about it, the more certain I became that whatever hung in the Gavin Galleries was not the Blue Madonna. Item five, another six bucks for a taxi back to my hotel. Item six, 580, breakfast the next morning for Foster Harmon and myself. By 10 o'clock, we were at the Gavin Galleries, looking at a pretty modern, but I must say beautiful painting. It's amazing, Johnny, amazing. The most extraordinary... Well, I, I just can't believe it. Can't believe what, Foster? That it's the real thing or just a good copy? Oh, good morning, sir. Uh, that's just I'll it. You, you see... I've helped these gentlemen. Johnny... Hold it, Foss. Uh... <laughs> That painting, you know, is a genuine Bardot. Yeah? My name is Johnny Dollar. This is Mr. Foster Harmon. Gentlemen, I'm Arnold Gavin. Um, you're uh, interested in buying the Blue Madonna? If this is really it. Uh, Johnny, listen. Wait, Foster. Uh, what is the price of it, Mr. Gavin? Uh, 20000 Mr. Dollar, did you say? Yeah, but... Uh, wow. Haven't you got a Bardot that's a bit cheaper? His Laconic Lagoon is priced at 10000 Holy. Well, how about a copy of this? Oh, Bardot has never allowed his works to be copied. Johnny, listen. Yeah, Foster, looks like this stuff is too rich for our blood. No. Come on, let's go back to the Bellevue Stratford. No, listen. Uh, perhaps there's something else that might interest you. No, I'm afraid not, but thank you. That's quite all right. Uh, let's pull back, come back later. Johnny, listen. Come on, will you? Yeah, I'll uh, see you tomorrow, Captain. Now, Johnny, just uh, take it easy. Well, Foss, it's a fraud, Johnny. It's a copy, I'm sure of it. Hey, hey, hey. Did you say that blue Madonna's a copy, mister? Yes. Wait, Foss. Well, I thought you were looking at it kind of funny there in the gallery. Yes, sir, it's a fraud. Foss, sir. Uh, you don't mind my asking, uh, who are you? Uh, my name is Foster Harmon. Harmon? From the John Ringling Museum down in Florida? That's right. Well, then you ought to know. Now, just a minute, mister. Say, uh, aren't you Johnny Dollar, the insurance investigator? So what? Who are you? Me? Well, I'm Rupe Alloway of Transworld News Service. News Service? Oh, fine. Yeah, I'll see you, boys, and thanks a lot. Well, Foss, it looks like you opened your mouth and stuck my foot in it. Well, I'm sorry, Johnny, but what I said is true. That blue Madonna is an imitation, a phony. That much I already knew. At least I was pretty sure of it. But don't you see the amazing thing? Well, Johnny, that copy is so perfect. So exactly in the style of Vincent Bardot, even to little things, little idiosyncrasies that even the finest copyists couldn't match. Certain minute details about an artist's work are as distinctive, as impossible to copy as a man's own fingerprints. Yeah, well... What I'm trying to say is that if I didn't know every brush mark on the original... Okay, Foss, forget it. Forget it? Hey, listen... Kingsley Holland, the owner, and I wouldn't trust him for a minute. I think he knows who I am. If so, and if he knows that painting is just a copy, well, he's pretty sure to figure out what I'm doing here. Johnny, he must know it's a copy. If he gave it to the galleries to sell. Perhaps. Or maybe the switch was made after it was hung there. Then what you're saying is that either one of them could be responsible for the fraud. That's right. How well do you know the Gavin Galleries? Well, they're not very big. You could see that for yourself. 
And, of course, they're rather new in the business. I think I'd better get a rundown on this Arnold Gavin while we're waiting at the hotel. Waiting? What for? Well, you, you plant a couple of seeds. You hope that one of them will sprout. I'm afraid I don't understand. Foss, I told both of them who I am in the hope they'd guess at why I'm here. I also gave them reason to suspect I think that blue Madonna's a phony. Well, I'm afraid that I may have led Arnold Gavin to feel that way. Same thing. I also made it very plain to them that I'm staying at the Bellevue Stratford. In other words... Good heavens, Johnny, if you mean what I think you do... Yeah? Like what, Foss? You think that one of them, the crook, will come to the hotel and try to... Don't you see, Johnny, knowing that you're on to him, he, he might try to kill you. Can you think of a better way to bring him out in the open? Johnny... Come on, let's get back to the hotel and wait. Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. After all, there was no reason to drag Foster any further into this mess, although I knew he began to see it through. So I paid him for all his expenses, that's item 7, 151 even, and sent him on back to Sarasota. Item 8, 10 cents for a phone call to Sergeant Jerry Hawkins at police headquarters. About mid-afternoon, he called me back. Boy, did you ever start a riot. Well, what'd you find out for me about Gavin and Holland? Well, Holland's just a lazy kid that's been trying to live off his relatives all his life. And Gavin? Okay, so far as we know. But listen, you've seen the papers? No. The story about that phony painting is on every wire service in the country. All you can see in the headlines is that name Bardot, and I don't mean Bridget. Johnny, you and that Foster Harmon ought to collect a publicity fee. Are you holding Gavin or Holland? Well, what on? Sure, the boys have questioned both of them, but unless we can show some evidence that one of them pulled the switch. Johnny, you got any ideas? Yeah, Jerry. Suddenly, I think maybe I have. Well, then start talking so I can make a pitch. No, I don't think you will. What do you mean, if you know who did it? Oh, I didn't say that, but, uh, Jerry, I've got a hunch, a real potent one. And if it's right... Yeah? Well, read tomorrow's papers. Huh? Item nine, half a buck for an evening paper and a tip for the bellboy who brought it up to me. Yeah, the sergeant was right. This was the most free advertising any artist has had in years. Prices on genuine Bardot's were skyrocketing. As for the fake blue Madonna... I put in a fast call for Paris. But before the operator could get it through... Yeah? Arnold Gavin, Mr. Dollar. Well, Mr. You Gavin... See, do you see what has happened? Have you seen the papers? I sure have. And the police have closed my shop, my galleries. Can you blame them? But don't you understand? I've had offers of up to 30000 for the Madonna. I've received wires offering me nearly 20000 for the other Bardot. Uh, the, the real one. No kidding. Well, I'll show you how much I'm kidding... I've cabled Bardot to paint some more for me. Paint anything. Don't you see? After all this publicity, we'll make a million. So it was you that rigged this whole thing, huh, Gavin? I, Mr. Holland? Why, of course not. Sure, to raise the price of some of your lousy painting. Well, how can you say that? You who gave me that copy. Expert, huh? You trying to tell me you didn't know that was a copy? No. It was only this morning when the authority from Sarasota, uh, when I called in the people from the museum here in Philadelphia. Do you know what they said? What? And it better be good. They said the only one who could have made that copy... Wait a minute. The only artist in the world who could have possibly... Hold it. Hold everything. Holland, you said you got that painting from your uncle's estate. That's right. It was willed to me. Where did your uncle get it? Why, for... Well, listen. I'm listening. 
dollar that Madonna was smuggled into. Smuggled? That's right. But by whom? Well, believe it or not. I think I can tell you who. And if this is my call to Paris, well, maybe I can even tell you where he is now. Johnny Dollar. This is your dear and faithful friend, Le Chagrin. Good. Now listen. And for the information I can give you this time... Oh, you will have to pay me a vast sum of money. You're about to tell me that the Blue Madonna was smuggled into Paris by none other than the artist himself. Eh? By Vincent Bardot. Exactly. So that should be worth it, but how did you know? All right. All I want to know now is where is he? You know. <laughs> He's not in Paris. Where is he? For a hundred bucks? A hundred and fifty? Three hundred. Oh, for that much, I'll find out for myself. Goodbye. No, no, no. Okay, 200 or I hang up on you. Well, only for you, my best, my oldest friend. Where? He's aboard the plane for the United States. I might have guessed it. He has the Madonna Blue with him. He received the cable this morning. Great. I'll send you a check. You hear any of that, Mr. Gavin? Holland? Yes, I'm afraid I don't understand. Oh, I sure don't. Then maybe this call will help you. Sergeant Jerry Hawkins. Yes, sir. Sergeant Hawkins. You can have the boys in New York pick him up or wait for his plane to arrive here in Philadelphia. Johnny. If you're sure you really have any charges against him. What? Yeah, he's on his way in from Paris. The guy who painted the copy of the Blue Madonna. Or maybe this is really the original over here. Huh? Well, at any rate, he'll have the other copy with him. So do you want to tell the papers or shall I? Look, will you make sense? Oh, and his name is Bardot. Bardot? That's right, Vincent Bardot. Well? You you mean that he... that he painted two of them? Sure, with probably something like this in mind. But I can't believe... And look, look what it's done for him. Put him on the map. Anything he paints now will net him a fortune. And I don't think you'll suffer particularly either, Mr. Gavin. Well, no. As for you, Holland, well, you'll get a lot more than you thought for that painting of yours. <laughs> Man, what a fast... Sure. But you know something? What is it, Hmm. I just wonder if Le Chagris was in on this thing with him from the beginning. Le Chagris? So help me, I wouldn't put it beyond him. Sure. Sure he was in with Bardot. And probably collecting plenty from him. Anyhow, the insurance company is not anything. But I hope they'll be a lot more careful the next time they insure a painting. Any so-called original. Expense account total, including $400 for Le Chagris, the hotel, and the trip back to Hartford, $620 even. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is written, produced, and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in our cast were G. Stanley Jones, Forrest Lewis, Harry Bartell, Joseph Kearns, Bert Holland, and Byron Kane. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, 
for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Stay tuned for The Man from Homicide. There are two requirements essential to a good radio newscast, speed and flexibility. News of Tomorrow, ABC's nightly roundup heard Monday through Thursday, ensures listeners of both. Editor John Daly can draw upon 30 overseas correspondents stationed at vital points around the globe, six news bureaus stretching across the United States, and over 290 ABC affiliates with their local news staffs. When news of tomorrow hits the air, a complete to the moment picture of the world's happenings is on its way to ABC listeners. Tonight, for swift news awareness, listen to ABC for news of tomorrow. The Man from Homicide. According to Webster's Dictionary, homicide is the killing of one human being by another. According to Lieutenant Blue Dana, it's the beginning of a dirty, dangerous job. It doesn't end until a killer is found. I don't like killers. Every week at this time, the American Broadcasting Company presents transcribed the star of stage and screen... Dan Durier as Lieutenant Lou Dana, the man from Homicide. Trouble with being a cop in Homicide is that by the time you get there, the damage has already been done. You just pick up the pieces and put them together, if you can. If the puzzle adds up to an answer, then a killer is stopped from doing further damage. If not, well, then you just wait till the next time. That's one thing you're pretty sure of about a killer. Sooner or later, there'll be a next time. The picture boys and the lab boys were pretty well through by the time I got there. Okay, boys, hurry it up, huh? The corpse was male, white, about 45. Be sure you get those color shots good, Eddie. It'll be important in this one. Steve Morton had been shot full in the face at close range with a double-barrel shotgun. Get a close-up in that color, Eddie. Two 12-gauge shells can make quite a change in a guy's features. Well, the boys are through, Lou. What do you make of it? Somebody didn't like him. Yeah, sure proved it. Anybody around? Uh, the wife and a fellow named of Thompson. He's, uh, well, he was Morton's attorney. Where? Library. There? Yep. Come on. You talk to him? Not much. The wife was in pretty bad shape. She found him, called homicide, then this attorney. She's uh, pretty hysterical. She is, huh? Well, maybe she loved him. It happens, I hear. Here we are. 
Yeah, that's her. I didn't think it was the guy. Uh, <coughs> is this Lou Dana, Mrs. Morton? I'm homicide, Mrs. Morton. Been assigned to cover this. Oh, please. No, no more questions. I can't. Sorry, Mrs. Morton. You want us to catch you ever murdered your husband, don't you? I can't talk about it. I tell you, I can't. Lieutenant Dana, I'm Everett Thompson. I'm Mrs. Morton's attorney. That sounds nice. Couldn't you possibly postpone any further interrogation of Mrs. Morton until she's had time to to compose herself? Sorry, first impressions are the most important. Ten minutes from now, she may not remember as clearly. Mrs. Morton, I'm sorry, but there are a few things I have to know. Very well, I'll, I'll try. Do you know who shot your husband? No. Do you suspect anyone? No. Where were you when it happened? I told the other officers I'd been to a bridge party. Witnesses? Of course. And when you came back, you... I opened the door, stepped in the room, there, lying there on the floor. No, I can't. I can't! She's terribly upset. I'll try and quiet her. Yeah, try. You get the time she got home? About 40 minutes ago. How long has he been dead? A good two hours. Well, doesn't look as though we get much from her. No. And she called Thompson. He got here after the first of the boys. What's he got there? Oh, Miss Morton dropped her handkerchief when she ran out. Oh, let me have it. I'll give it to her when I question her again. Yeah, here. Thanks. Hey. That's funny. What? Oh, wouldn't you say Mrs. Morton seemed pretty shaken? Never saw anybody cry any harder. Why? Her handkerchief, Dave. Feel it. It... But it's dry. It sure is, Pappy. Sometimes the leads come fast. It looked like this was the time we'd stumbled onto something right off. I went back in the living room for another look at Morton. Nothing. He was just ten minutes deader. The room was large, luxuriantly furnished. It was an exclusive neighborhood. It'd take dough. Morton had dough. But what's a corpse gonna do with dough? A more pertinent question might be, what's a widow gonna do with dough? Methinks the lady doth protest too much. When did you get on speaking terms with Shakespeare? Oh, I, uh, <clears throat> I read a book. Ever read one entitled The Care and Feeding of Rich Widows? Oh, I could write that one. Yeah, with your figure, writing it is about all you could do. All right. You gonna try and break her with that dry hanky, I mean? No, let's pretend we didn't find it. That way she may not have her guard up. All right. You through with the leading man here? Yeah, tell the boys to clean it up. I'm gonna have a talk with the missus. All right. <clears throat> okay, boys, take the morgue there, customer. Then get back to the lab and stop sitting. Back at headquarters, I started putting the pieces together. There were three of them. A dead rich man, a young beautiful widow who cried dry tears, and a suave attorney. Put the pieces together and they added up to homicide. There was only one thing wrong with the idea... And that was that that's all it was. Just an idea. I started out after information that would turn it into a fact. Dave. 
Yes, Lou? Have a check made on this guy, Everett Thompson. Sure, Lou. I want everything. Background, financial interests, friends. Check. Same thing on the deceased. Uh, background of financial interests, okay, but uh, it's going to be a little hard to check on his friends. I don't know which place he went. You got the build for a comedian, but not the brain. Past friends. <laughs> okay, Lou, just kidding. You got the names of the people Mrs. Morton says she was playing bridge with at the time of the killing? Yeah, sure. Uh, right here. Leave them. Am I going someplace? You are. Where? Justice Court, Division Three. Ask the clerk if Everett Thompson was there yesterday at the time he said he was. Anything else? Just get back here as quick as you can. Then you can go with me to make a pinch. Oh, you seem pretty sure. I got a nose for these things. It's so pat. Motive, Thompson and the missus are in love. She inherits, and then they get married and live happily ever after. Only I'm afraid they're going to find it a little crowded in the electric chair. Yeah, but Lou, they both claim alibis. I got a hunch that's where we'll find the hole in their plan. Now get going. Right. Let's see, uh, Spangler, Edith, Mrs. George, Moody, Peters, Sandler, Simpson, Spang, Spangler, George, Hillbrook, seven, one, six. Hello, Mrs. Spangler, Lou Dana, Homicide. Do you know Mrs. Steve Morton? Yes, it is too bad. You know her then? Oh, I see. Was she at your home playing bridge yesterday? Oh? Well, what time did she leave? Oh, I see. There were other witnesses? Uh, I see. Uh, thank you very much, Mrs. Spangler. Oh, yes, you've been a big help. You just helped my best idea into oblivion. Oh, Lou. Glad I caught you. Afraid you sent me in a wild goose chase, son. I've been on one myself, Pappy. The season's open on wild goose chases. Well, we've been where he goes before. Sorry to disappoint you, Lou, but Thompson was in court yesterday at the time, he says. And Mrs. Morton was playing bridge. Yeah. Well, looks like we maybe convicted those two a little premature. It looks to me like we didn't convict them at all. Dana here. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, shoot. Oh, I see. Thanks a lot. Anything? The lab with the autopsy report? Yeah. Time of death, 3 p.m. Thompson was in court till 3.20, and Mrs. Morton was playing bridge till 4. So we cross them off the list. We tear up the list. They're the only ones on it. And they're apparently as clean as Las Vegas tourists. As the actual killers may be. Meaning? Sometimes the hand that points a gun is a long way from the finger that pulls the trigger, Pappy. Now, Lou... If those two didn't have something to do with that guy's death, then I've lost my instincts. Eh, cop and homicide without instinct? I said if, Dave. And I haven't lost him. I've still got him. And I'll bet you my pension against Mrs. Morton's dry hanky that they're right. 
There's always something fishy about a killer story. I had only a hunch, but it kept prodding me. I couldn't prove how, when, or why she and Thompson had wanted her husband dead, but I was sure they had. I decided to go ask her. Well, Lieutenant, I hardly expected to see you again so soon. It isn't a social call, Mrs. Morton. Sit down, Lieutenant. Thanks. Stick a gum, Mrs. Morton? Gum? Certainly not, Lieutenant. No, you wouldn't. Mind if I do? If you must be gauche, go ahead. I will. Helps me think. What flavor do you chew, Lieutenant? Cyanide? What's that mean? I was just thinking. The kind of thoughts you think... Come from the people I have to associate with. I see. A cop in homicide doesn't write poetry about birds and flowers, Mrs. Morton. He thinks more in terms of guns and blood. Knives and wounds, rigor mortis, bodies on slabs in the morgue, and faces blasted from two barrels of a shotgun. stop it. Why did you and Thompson kill your husband, Mrs. Morton? Oh, you're despicable. Thanks. Why, Mrs. Morton? Lieutenant Dana, I didn't kill my husband. Neither did Everett. I loved my husband. I'm sorry you don't believe me. I don't. But I'm sure of one thing, Lieutenant. I don't have to submit to this sort of torture from you. Unless and until you're ready to charge me with murder. I don't have to see you again. Okay, Mrs. Morton, okay. You'll see me again. She was right. She could refuse to answer any questions. She could deny any implication. She could mourn and weep for her dead husband... And she could insist that neither she nor Thompson were involved. But she couldn't make me believe it. The trouble was, I didn't have any way of making anybody believe me, either. Lou! Lou? Yes, Dave, what? Got something. Routine report on Morton. Oh, what is it? He was in trouble, Lou. What kind of trouble? Money. Morton? Well, I thought he was one of the idle rich. Yeah, might have been idle, but not rich. Not anymore. Explain. Well, income tax boys breathing down his neck. They were about to make a formal charge. Evasion. 600,000. Seems he'd been phonying up his returns for years. And they were going to collect? And not only that. According to this report, they were going to ask a stiff prison sentence as well. How long? Ten years, anyway. And they'd have made it stick, too. Except somebody beat him to the punch. Six hundred thousand and ten years, huh? Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe he wasn't so unlucky after all. Guy in that spot would be better off dead. Yeah. Yeah. Lou, you thought about the other angle? Suicide? Uh-huh. Oh, could be a motive, all right. But what about the gun? Guy doesn't shoot himself in the face with both barrels of a shotgun and get rid of the gun before he dies. If Morton killed himself, which I doubt, somebody had to help him. No, Dane. I don't think Steve Morton wanted to die. I think... Wait a minute. Uh, idea, son? Could be, Pappy. Could be. How long has Steve Morton been buried? Uh, about two weeks. Why? Well, what's on your mind, son? Murder, Pappy. Murder. Hello, Dana. Give me the lab. Casey? 
Dana. Now listen, Casey. Could you still get prints off a two-week-old corpse? You could? Good. Thanks. Lou, you aren't thinking of I am. Get an order out to have Steve Morton's body exhumed. Get the lab boys to make prints. Then I want to have a look at him myself. You're welcome. You don't expect pleasant work in homicide. We only had Mrs. Morton's word for identification. I got a hunch that's not enough. Now get on it. Okay, son, if you say so. I say so. And Dave. Yeah? Don't let the boys in the press in on this. Let's keep it strictly inside the department, huh? got busy with their grave digging and I got busy on a fresh pack of gum and some more heavy thinking. I still had that hunch. I still felt Mrs. Morton was mixed up somehow. I went out to see her again. I got the kind of a fishy stare only an unwelcome guest can get from a well-trained butler who likes his job. I wore my nastiest disposition and discouraged him. Mrs. Morton came right down. Lieutenant Dana. I thought you understood that I didn't wish to see you again. I know. I'm a pest, huh? If you've come to make more accusations, especially unfounded ones... Did your husband drive a car, Mrs. Morton? Certainly. I want his driver's license. What makes you think I'd have it, Lieutenant? The way you apparently felt about him, I thought you'd probably keep his personal effects. Yes, of course. But I don't believe I remember seeing his driver's license. I don't have it. You don't have it or you don't want me to see it. Why shouldn't I want you to see it, Lieutenant? Maybe because it'd have his fingerprints on it. Goodbye, Mrs. Morton. I went back to headquarters. The driver's license didn't worry me too much. Could be prints somewhere as if a guy is important to Steve Morton. Dave had the boys do a real fast job bringing in the body. They had it now on a slab in the morgue, and Dave and I went together for a look. Which one, Dave? Uh, right here. Pull him out. Yeah. Well? The boys get his prints? Yeah, yeah, that's all you wanted. Can I put him back now? Wait a second. Dave? Yeah. Look, his hair. Well, I... I uh... Notice the color, Dave? Yeah. Same as it was, black. Uh, look close. Uh, gray. Close to the scalp, it's gray. It sure is. Well, what does it mean? It means we check his prints against every source, and most of all, we compare them with Steve Morton's. Steve Morton, it turned out, had had a government job during the war. The federal boys cooperated and we got a copy of his prints in a hurry. The guy in the morgue was wearing a different set. The hunch was becoming a reality. At first, I was sure Cynthia Morton had murdered her husband. Now I was sure she hadn't. Matter of fact, I was beginning to think nobody had. We'd need some more routine to be sure. Give me the lab. Dana here. Listen. I want you guys to sketch a reconstructed face for the guy we got in the morgue. Yeah. And then a physical description. Weight, height, eyes, and so on. 
Yeah, as near as you can come to what he looked like alive, except for one thing. Give him gray hair. Thanks. Dave. Dave. Yeah, Lou? In here quick, huh? Okay. Good old routine, the cop's best friend. It always pays dividends. Sometimes you gotta have a hunch to get it rolling, but in the end, it's the routine that pays off. What's up, Lou? I'm having the boys make a sketch of a face to go on the guy in the morgue. As soon as it's finished, run a check with the missing persons. What am I supposed to be looking for? A name to fit the body we got on the slab? boys ran off the sketch. And a pretty good-looking guy, maybe in his 50s, strong chin, large nose, iron gray hair. Of course, anything, even a sketch, would look better than he did after taking that blast in the face. I went to show Mrs. Morton my sketch. Well, Lieutenant Dana, how unpleasant meeting you again. You're pretty rude. Don't you like competition? I don't mind. You don't win friends in homicide, but then you don't particularly care for the people you meet. Something special on your mind, Lieutenant. Your age. Well... You heard me, your age. Thirty-four. Ah, you look older. Now, listen, Nervous you, I... strain, maybe. Do you dye your hair, Mrs. Morton? Certainly not. How about your late husband? Did he dye his? No. Mind taking a look at this? It's a pencil sketch of a guy. Know him? No. Why? You should. He's using your old man's coffin. Well, I... That is, he was. Till we dug him up. I... Where is he, Mrs. Morton? I... I... I haven't anything further to say to you. Rather say it to the D.A.? You, you can't bring any charge against me. I've done nothing. Ever I... hear of an accomplice or concealing a criminal, obstructing justice? <clears throat> Stiff sentences with all of them. Maybe even the chair for the first. And that's real hard on a beautiful woman. Like to tell me where he is? The best you can get now is a light rap for turning state's evidence. And the worst? The chair. Just tell me where he is. Make it easier. We'll find him anyhow, and this will be quicker and easier for you, too. Well, Mrs. Morton? The Suffolk. It's an apartment hotel. 2200 block out on Canyon Road. Okay, Mrs. Morton, get your hat. I'll drop you off at the jail on my way. Steve Morton had dyed his hair all right, red. He'd be wearing glasses, too, and he'd have a mustache and be going by the name of Fred Carter. I found out about these things on the way to headquarters from his wife. I booked her on suspicion of murder and then drove out looking for the guy we thought we'd already buried. It was one of those small places in a residential district that tries hard to look like a home. But business wins in the end, and the neon sign spoils the approach. There was a guy on duty behind the desk. Mr. Carter in? Oh, oh, you startled me. Uh, Mr. Carter, yes. Whom shall I say? Don't. What room? I'm sorry, unless I can announce you. I'm afraid that Dana, you... Dana, homicide. Homicide? Uh, hum, Murder. Yes. What room? Uh, uh, uh 214. Uh, the elevator... Uh, you run it yourself. I can manage. Just keep quiet. The hall was dimly lit. I would have 
have liked more light, but I didn't have a choice. 214 was close to the elevator. That part I did like. Mr. Carter wouldn't be expecting company. Yes? Hello, Mr. Carter. Last time I met you, you were dead. I... I don't believe I understand. Maybe you'd understand better if I said Morton. Steve Morton. Who are you? Lou Dana. I never heard of you. Oh, your wish you never had. I'm homicide. I overplayed my hand. Morton slammed the door in my face. The night latch was on. I gave it the shoulder. It didn't splinter like they do in the movies. I thought, if I was a trapped killer, what would I do? I figured the fire escape. There was an alcove 20 feet down the hall. I took a chance. The window at the end opened onto the fire escape. I looked out. I was right. He was on it. It didn't seem like a good idea to stick my head out again. I peeked. He was still there. I'm coming out, Morton. That means you'll have first shot. But if you miss, I'll have the second shot. I think you'll miss. But you know I won't miss, don't you, Morton? Cops learn to shoot. We go to school, go to the pistol range to practice. We shoot straight, Morton. Remember, if you take first shot, I take second. Okay? I'm coming. Real smart, Morton. You'd have come out second best. Okay. Let's go to headquarters. How they doing, Dave? The dame won't talk, and the guy is screaming for his lawyer. 72 hours before we have to book him. Get him in my office, Dave. Okay, Luke. I could have written my report without him, but it looked better on the record if I had their stories on it. I was thinking. It was funny. First time I ever had to track down a corpse for his own murder. Dave brought in the corpse, alive and kicking. You can't do this. I demand to see my attorney. Relax, Morton. Killers don't demand things here. You have no proof. It's only guessing. Wild guessing. Want to hear how wild? Yeah, Lou, tell him. It's too easy. It wouldn't have been. You might have made it except for that dry hanky. Dry hanky? Yeah. Your wife was real broken up about your death. She really threw the weeps. Trouble was, there weren't any tears. She dropped her handkerchief. It was dry. From then on, I knew it was a phony. Just a matter then of proving how and why. And you think you have? Sure. Here's a report from missing persons. Man by the name of William Forbes disappeared from his home and job about four weeks ago. The funny thing, he was about your size, height, and weight. Of course, his hair was gray, but that was easy to fix. And you know something, Morton? His fingerprints fit the guy you picked for your stand-in. And I suppose this person just agreed to all this? Oh, I got a theory about that. You got an attractive wife, Morton. After you'd picked him for size and shape, it'd be easy for her to lure him to your house. Why, thank you, Lieutenant. I don't know how you got him to dye his hair, but when we exhumed his body, we found it was gray at the roots. Is that all? No. One more thing. You're in deep on an income tax wrap. 
straightening it up would break you as well as get you ten years. So you get this guy Forbes in your house, shoot him full in the face with a shotgun. That fixes it so nobody can tell it isn't you. You take the gun and hide out. That makes catching the killer tough, on account of we're looking for the same guy that's supposed to be dead. And just why do I do all this? Because you carry a real nice insurance policy. Mrs. Morton's the beneficiary. When things simmer down, you and she can live nicely as Mr. and Mrs. Carter. Well, Morton, like to tell us where the gun is? I'm not talking until I see my attorney. Okay, Dave, take them both down and book them on a charge of murder in the first degree. Oh, no. Feeling bad, Mrs. Morton? <laughs> well, what do you know? This time, the tears are wet. <laughs> Attention to detail. That's what catches killers. And lack of it, that's what trips him up. Morton and his wife had fixed up a real cute plan. The trouble was, neither one of them had thought about a dry hanky. Funny how a little game of drop the handkerchief can make the difference between freedom and a chair. Of course, no killer gives the cops credit for being smarter than he is. That's because a killer has an incurable conceit. Yeah, a guy has to think an awful lot of himself to kill another man. Especially to shoot him in the face with a shotgun. It'd be a long time before I'd get rid of that memory. I don't like killers. You have just heard another in a transcribed series starring Dan Durier as The Man from Homicide with Larry Dobkin as Dave. Music was by Basil Atlam. The Man from Homicide was written and directed by Dwight Hauser. Be with us again next week, same time, over most of these same ABC stations to hear Dan Durier as the man from Homicide, Orville Anderson speaking. This program came to you from Hollywood. America is sold on ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That's it for this episode of Case Closed. I'll be back next Wednesday with another hour. In between now and then, you can find more from The Man from Homicide, Johnny Dollar, past episodes of this show, and all the others at relicradio.com. Lots to listen to, all for free, thanks to your support. Donate.relicradio.com if you'd like to help out. Thanks to those who have. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed. Case Closed.